0: Destruction Directive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive, and Happy April Fools' Day! I am your host, as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I would like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to this special April Fools' Day guidance episode. Uh, trying out something new on the format here, so. Well, let's see how this goes, and, uh, you know, you might be expecting a you know a Daikaiju movie, and we, we sort of have that for you today. Today we are going to be taking a look at Ape vs. Monster. Ape vs. Monster was released on Video On Demand on April 30th, 2021, with a DVD release following in September 2021. The film was produced and distributed by The Asylum. The very well-known, in certain circles, outfit known for producing what could be diplomatically called tie-in films to major releases, but are more commonly referred to as mockbusters. Our director is Daniel Lusco, who has directed a few other Asylum films, including 200 Mile Per Hour Storm and Top Gunners, as well as some Christian TV movies such as Acquitted by Faith. Our writer is George Michael Phillips, whose credits consist of this movie. Think about that. The only member of the cast whom I have heard of is Eric Roberts, the older brother of actress Julia Roberts, who has a huge history of character roles in many, many different movies and TV shows across all genres, ranging all the way back to 1978. You have no doubt seen something with Eric Roberts in it, whether that was the Doctor Who telefilm, The Dark Knight, Star 80, Runaway Train, The Expendables, or Riff Track's favorite A Talking Cat. The rest of the cast have a smattering of roles on TV or smaller films, but nothing really jumped out at me. This is very common for asylum-type fare. Our synopsis is adapted from Wikipedia and goes a little something like this. A space capsule crashes back to Earth near Roswell, New Mexico. Dr. Linda Murphy, answering to National Security Advisor Ethan Marcos, takes control of the investigation. The craft is found to be from ELBI, a secret U.S.-Soviet space program that aimed to end the Cold War via establishing a joint first contact. Linda's father, Noah, was a lead scientist on the project, but they became estranged when he sent Abraham, a chimpanzee the young Linda befriended, into space as the capsule's pilot. The mission was declared a failure when Earth lost contact with the craft in 2007. Marcos orders Linda to investigate the site before the Russians learn of the capsule's return. Linda and her friend, Undersecretary Reynolds, lead a team to the crash site. They discover that the capsule's occupant broke out following the landing, and the capsule is covered in a strange green fluid. Abraham, having grown several times larger, appears and kills Reynolds and the soldiers. Linda trips and is knocked unconscious, but sees another team, led by her former classmate and Russian agent, Eva Kulashov, arrive and tranquilize Abraham. Unnoticed by the humans, a Gila monster consumes some of the liquid at the site. At the Langley Research Center, Abraham is confined while Linda, Eva, and a team of scientists attempt to understand his mutation. Back at the crash site, a group of soldiers left to guard the capsule are killed by the now-mutated, gigantic Gila monster. Marco sends Linda and her assistant Jones to pursue the creature. Meanwhile, Ava discovers that the alien substance breaks down in Earth's atmosphere, leading her to covertly have the entire remaining supply injected into Abraham to stabilize it. Linda and Jones witness the Gila monster destroy a bridge and a passenger train before heading underground. Abraham grows even larger and escapes from Langley. Linda, confused over his s- sudden further mutation, meets with Marcos and Ava, with Ava mentioning rumors that Abraham destroyed the extraterrestrial defense initiative as success- a successor to the strategic defense initiative. It is found that Abraham inhaled the green substance over time while in the capsule, while the heel monster directly consumed it. General Delaney, Reynolds' successor, orders a team to find the monsters as soon as possible. They track Abraham to Huntington, West Virginia, where Linda discovers a substance breaking down in blood that he left behind, forcing Ava to admit her deception. Linda removes Ava from the team and joins a group of Special Forces soldiers who engage Abraham, but the men are all killed and Abraham flees. Ava disappears with an Apache helicopter. Returning to Langley, Linda and Jones discover beams of cosmic energy transmitted from the Andromeda Galaxy are remotely controlling both monsters via the substance in their bodies. The Hubble Space Telescope discovers an alien ship approaching Earth, forcing Marcos to call Noah in to provide assistance. Linda finds that Abraham may be able to resist the alien's control, and she, Jones, and Noah plan to jam the alien signal using a transmitter. The transmitter is attached to the Washington Monument, shortly before Abraham appears in the city, guided there, to decapitate the U.S. government in preparation for a full-scale invasion. The jamming signal quickly frees him, but the Gila monster is unaffected and emerges to wreak havoc. Despite Abraham no longer being a threat, Delaney orders a missile strike on him. This accidentally causes the Washington Monument to fall, killing Delaney and destroying the transmitter, thus allowing the aliens to regain control of Abraham. Noah, having reconciled with Linda, discloses the existence of a prototype transmitter stored in a van in the city, it's not down by the river, and sends Linda and Jones to retrieve it. They find it, but Jones is devoured by the Hela monster before she can repair it. Upon its activation, Abraham is once again freed, and he battles the Gila monster to protect Linda. The Gila monster eventually gains the advantage over Abraham, but Ava is able to disorient the Gila monster with a suicide attack in the Apache. Abraham recovers and beats the Gila monster, striking it several times before killing it by snapping its neck. Marcos sends in his gunships to terminate Abraham, but changes his mind and decides to place his faith in Linda's trust of Abraham, calling them off at the last minute. In the aftermath, the alien ship retreats from Earth, while the fallen Gila monster's energy is fully neutralized. Abraham is sent to a facility outside Santa Fe, where he can live in peace. Marcos gives Linda exclusive rights to study him, and she accepts Noah's offer to join her. All right, folks, I am no stranger to bad movies. I've been watching ridiculous B movies for most of my life, especially monster movies, so I am not opposed to this type of film on the surface. I also have a lot of experience with non theatrical movies, whether they were direct to video, then direct to DVD, and now moving into direct to streaming. I thoroughly understand and recognize the nature of that market, and how the players in that market make money. All that having been said, good lord, this is a bad movie. Let's lead with the positives. Given the budget, you know, I find myself saying that so much lately, the CGI effects in a film are really quite nice. The two monsters are well-designed and reasonably animated, for the most part. Abraham does not fare as well as a Gila monster, but given that he is specifically a chimpanzee, I have to say that his character model does look, in fact, like a giant chimp. That in and of itself is somewhat unique, as typically giant simians are gorillas, so the body and head shape being decidedly chimp-like is a good move. Abraham does not move all that well. I suspect that the complex nature of simian movement was a bit outside of what could be reproduced, for this particular production. The Gila monster is, are you sitting down? Approaching a genuine good monster design. Looking for all the world like a mix between Godzilla 98 and Varon, with a little bit of Lizzie from Rampage thrown in there, the reptile looks menacing and suitably monstrous. He moves more like a monster rather than trying to emulate an actual living animal, so that helps as well. The skin texture looks like something from a PlayStation 3 game more than a movie, but overall I have to say that I am really impressed with the Gila monster as an overall creature in this film. Now, before the story even starts, the opening credits are astoundingly funny to me. Utilizing nothing but stock footage and ominous sounding music, Lusco and company have assembled a pitch perfect riff on the MonsterVerse-style opening credits sequence. There is no doubt at all what the inspiration here is, and I have to give them props for ripping it off so effectively. Once the story starts, things actually begin pretty well, moving along at a snappy pace and getting into the action quickly. The first 20 to 30 minutes are not outstanding by any stretch, but I would be lying if I was not saying to myself, could this be a decent little B picture here? Unfortunately, after the Gila monster kills the sentries, that fast pace drops off precipitously. Obviously, shooting a scene with people moving about in the desert, these were too expensive. Because now it's time for people talking in offices. Or talking in labs. Or talking with video conferences. Or talking on radios to unidentified other people. Despite the amount of plot which unfolds in the final two acts of this film, there is so little happening and so much discussion around it that any momentum and goodwill which the film earned initially is quickly evaporated. It really feels like Phillips had a good beginning and end to the story, but had no middle, meaning that to make up its 88-minute running time, the padding had to be rolled on pretty thick in that second act. By the time we get around to the clash between the two monsters in Washington, D.C., it's much too little, much too late. Abraham climbing the Washington Monuments novel at least, albeit not particularly well rendered, and the destruction of said m- monument by errant missile fire is amusing if nothing else. The aforementioned clash is exceptionally brief, however, and the climactic neck snap from Abraham its not as rewarding as the synopsis, nor the filmmakers would have you believe. Head scratchers abound in this movie. Why are aliens introduced? To not impact the plot in any appreciable way. The UFO footage looks like it was recycled from a different film, but unfortunately I cannot confirm nor deny this suspicion. Why not just have the green goo be some strange material of unknown origin? Well, because introducing the alien subplot kills a few minutes of runtime, mostly. When Linda and her team spot the train heading for the wrecked bridge, why does no one react? Or even say a single word about the Gila monster, which at that point they have not seen. Or the train car that it lobs at their truck. My best guess is that the original scene involved only the train derailing over the destroyed bridge. And that the Gila monster was added relatively late. Too late to reshoot or adjust to live action portions of the scene. So we just have to believe that the team are simply not that interested or upset by a giant mutant lizard tossing a rail car at them. How does Ava manage to simply sneak off with an Apache helicopter? Have you ever seen an Apache helicopter? Have you ever heard an Apache helicopter? You can't sneak around with these things. Furthermore, what kind of Apache carries more Hellfire missiles and Hydra rockets? Maybe that one is just because I played a lot of Desert Strike and Jungle Strike on the Genesis back in the day, but just too strange. How in the world can Linda be both a leading paleontologist as well as an astrophysicist? Also, I strongly suspect that Phillips confused paleontologist with either anthropologist or primatologist, since Abraham is not a prehistoric animal but, you know, a chimpanzee. But I digress. Furthermore, what possible motivation would the US or the USSR have to work with each other during the Cold War for space exploration of any kind? To these questions, I have no answers. It's very interesting to me that in trying to make a film which is a mockbuster of Godzilla vs. Kong, the creative team here had to lean very hard instead on Rampage. I can only chalk that up to the story of Godzilla vs. Kong being dependent on the three previous films in the MonsterVerse, while Rampage stands alone. The story elements of Rampage are easier to adapt as well, such as the relationship between the lead and the ape, normal animals being mutated... And the giant animals being drawn to a major city just in time for the final showdown. From a marketing standpoint, appealing to consumers of GVK over Rampage also seems like a smart move as well, given Godzilla vs. Kong's larger box office, which is even more remarkable when one considers that Godzilla vs. Kong was post-COVID, while Rampage was pre-COVID, and stronger audience engagement overall. Ultimately, even given the low bar for this style of film, Ape vs. Monster is pretty poor. The first act shows a lot of promise and can be downright fun in spots. But then we hit that second act and it all just falls apart. There is just so much talking in the second and third acts. The little spurts of action do little to break up this monotony. By the time we get to the climax, we as viewers are so thoroughly bored that we just want the whole thing to be done so we can move on. I mean... I'm glad I picked up the DVD and that I have this movie in my collection, but even though I intended this episode as a sort of April Fool's Day gag, it seems like the biggest fool was me. If you would like to own Ape vs. Monster, the DVD is available from Amazon and other online retailers, or you can rent or purchase a digital copy through Amazon Prime Video, iTunes, Google Play, or Vudu. Additionally, the movie is streaming through several options, including Paramount+, Plus. Showtime, Hulu, even the free library-driven app Hoopla. So if you want to see this thing, you most likely have some option available to you to do so. Now, I throw it to you, the listener. Have you seen Ape vs. Monster? Do you like Asylum movies in general? Do you like other direct-to-video or direct-to-streaming offerings? Write me in and we can talk about it because I'd love to get some other takes on this and some of the other Asylum movies. Um, you know, uh, this started kind of as just a a one-off joke, but, you know, even as, as, as (laughs) not good as this movie was, I think we might be doing this. Uh, this might become a, something of a tradition. I have a few of these asylum movies that I either own or have access to that are these giant monster movies. So, you know, you might be seeing some more of this. So I'd love to get everybody's thoughts on this earth destruction directive at yahoo.com, or you can reach me on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or on the discord and uh, share your thoughts on this. All right, folks, uh, just going to wrap this up here. Just want to say, of course, um, that earth destruction directive is for everyone and all are welcome here to Earth destruction directive, even when we're talking about the asylum. And, uh, if you want to, you know, talk to me about ape versus monster, please reach out. You can be as part of, as much a part of this show as you want to be. Um, I said, we're not a gatekeeping show. We're a show for the people. So, uh, all are welcome. Um, that's all I've got, folks. I, I, I got nothing else to say about Ape versus Monster, so all I can say is uh, keep them stomping and stay foolish. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at 2TrueFreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you would like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I try to respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I will read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave a review on your podcatcher of choice if you'd like. You can find me on Facebook. Just search for first name Luke, last name E-D-D. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter. Just search for the handle at LJACONE. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. The theme song for this podcast is Future Gladiator by Kevin MacLeod, downloaded from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun here on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF (laughs) moment if I ever saw one.